So this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 again. And as you turn there, Matthew 12, uh, you know, in almost any sporting event you watch, and most Friday, most Saturdays in the fall I watch a little bit of college football, you could see this in volleyball games, you see this in basketball games. There's something that happens in almost every single sporting event, and it's symbolized by this this motion right here. What am I doing? Time out, right? I'm calling time out. Uh, you see this uh, in football games when uh, coaches want to take at a strategic point in the game. They need to s- discuss the plan for the next play. Uh, they need to get their ducks in a row, give their team a rest maybe, uh, make a plan. Or sometimes you even see them doing it to, to distract the team who's in motion to try to interrupt their momentum, right? Do you ever wish, though, that you could take a time out in life and just say, hold on, time out. I need to need to take a break for a minute here. Uh, maybe things aren't going well at work. You're behind on deadlines. And so I would encourage you, just try that with your boss sometime and just say, hey, I'm going to take a time out here and just take a break from what I'm working on. Probably won't go over. Uh, if you're a, a medical professional, like if you're in the middle of a procedure, uh, a long, drawn-out procedure, you're tired, maybe you need to use the restroom, sometimes you can't say, time out, I'm going to leave for a while. you, you got to finish what you're doing. How about this? If you're a parent, you know how many times you wish you could just take a time out, right? Uh, I remember this clearly when, when I'd say, Sarah would say, hey, here's a, here's a baby that needs a diaper change. I'd say, oh, no, time out. I can't do that. I'm on time out. That wouldn't go over. Or uh, an argument with a teenager. You just want to say, hey, I want to call time out. Or how about this? Kids, we've got youth in here today. We're not sending our youth out uh, for youth group because uh, Miguel's out of town. Do you get to this point in the semester where you're like, I have had enough of school. I'm just going to call time out and no more. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just take a break from school. See what your See what your teachers would say if you did that. But actually, you know, this week, uh, this holiday week, holidays are supposed to be like a timeout where we say timeout, we're going to take a break from the normal routine, we get some rest. That's what they're supposed to be. So I hope that's true for you this week. But in our text this morning, this is exactly what happens. It seems like Jesus actually calls an audible and he says, timeout, we're going to pause from what I'm doing because I want to refocus you on why I'm here. The king says, I want to refocus you and help you understand the big picture, the objective, the reason why he came. And so we're going to see that this morning. He has come to fulfill our hopes. And so I actually think it's amazing we came to this passage this week, right before we jump into the holiday season. Next Sunday will be the first Sunday of Advent. So we'll be looking at the coming of Christ. And and as we look at that, let's stop and pause and get the big picture again. Jesus has come to fulfill our hope. You know, as we enter Thanksgiving, Black Friday, all the things you see coming down the pipe, let's remember why we celebrate this season, why we celebrate Thanksgiving, and then why we celebrate Christmas, why we worship. And so that's my hope this morning, that we would hear the words of our King, and this is what he has to say in Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 and following. So here's how how it goes. Jesus says this, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And so hold on, I'm going to call time out already. Okay. Time out on this. What is he talking about? Uh, last week we looked at the first part of chapter 12 and Jesus heals a guy on the Sabbath, really upset the religious leaders. They're like, you can't do that. Jesus said, you've got it all wrong. I'm going to show you what the Sabbath really means. And it says in verse 14, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. 
That's where we come to our passage today. Jesus says, I'm aware of this. We're going to take a time out from what I'm normally doing, and I'm going to pull you guys away. He takes his followers with him, and we get the benefit of listening in on what happens during this time out, where Jesus kind of puts it all in perspective again, uh, and the Gospel of Matthew at this juncture puts it all in perspective for us and says, this is what Jesus is here for. This is what it's all about. So it says this, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. He calls time out and many followed him and he healed them all and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. This is the word of the Lord. So as we look at those verses, as Jesus calls time out and he pulls back from this conflict with the Pharisees, what is he showing us here to put in perspective what he's trying to do. And I think as we talk about the hope that he fulfills, there's really a couple of things, really three things I want us to see today. And the first one is this, the king heals broken people. Okay, we see that again in this first verse, uh, verses 15 and 16. Many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Now, in case you haven't noticed in Matthew, Jesus has been doing a lot of healing. Like, in fact, that's one of Matthew's main points is to say that the king has come to heal people, to heal broken people. Look at this list. Uh, The print's a little small, but the the miracles that we've seen so far. And guess what we're going to see even more as we continue in the book of Matthew. But just listen to some of these things he's done. In Matthew 4, it says he healed the sick and the diseased. He healed the demon-possessed, the epileptics and and paralytics. He healed a man with leprosy. Do you remember that story? He touched the person with leprosy. He healed a man with a fever, two, uh, a woman with a fever, two blind men, a mute man, two demon-possessed men, a paralytic, a tax collector, a dead girl, a woman with chronic bleeding. And last week, he healed the man with a withered hand. Don't miss this point. Matthew said it over and over and over again. The king has come to heal broken people. The king has come to heal broken people. Here's a question. Has the king healed you? Has the king healed you? Because yes, Jesus came to offer physical healing. And and I know actually in some cases he has healed some of you from physical ailments. God is able to do all things. We have broken bodies. You saw Jesus healing broken bodies then and he still can do that now. We know that he offers emotional healing for broken hearts, broken bodies and broken hearts. I've seen examples of that. Matter of fact, I think God gave me some emotional healing this week. Recently, I lost a friend, uh, a dear friend and who died of cancer. Had a great conversation with another friend this week who reminded me from God's word of the things I needed to hear. And I think God actually, Jesus, the king, brought me some emotional healing this week. Relational healing. You all know there's broken relationships in the world around you, right? Uh, maybe parents with children, friends with friends, spouses. There's broken marriages. 
God says, I can bring you healing through the king. And there's many stories in this room of how that's happened. Has the king healed you? But one thing when we read the book of Matthew is that physical healing, relational healing, emotional healing, those are all possible and the king can do those things. But Jesus says, ultimately, all those things point to the most important type of healing he does. And that is spiritual healing. Because as we find out in the book of Matthew, and as you find out by just looking at people in the world around you, we are all broken people. We are broken people. And God has sent Jesus to heal us of that brokenness. The brokenness is that we are all sinful, flawed, pursuing the wrong things. And God sent the king to rescue us, to pay for our sins. That's the primary reason he came. And so when it comes to this idea of spiritual healing, which Jesus demonstrates so powerfully in Matthew, he says, I have the power to forgive sins, to heal your spiritual brokenness. Only God can do that. And he offers it to you, offers it to me. All you have to do is ask. Put your faith in him and know that he can heal you spiritually for all eternity. So that's the question. Has this great king, has he healed you? The healing is available for you spiritually. But the second thing the king does here in this in the next verse, in verse 17, is that, it, that we're told here in this part of Matthew that the king fulfills God's promises. The king fulfills God's promises. Now, when you think about promises, has anybody in here ever experienced a broken promise? Anybody? Somebody's broken a promise uh, to you? How about this? Has anybody in here ever broken a promise? All right. I think uh, being a parent, uh, I realize... It's easier to break promises because you say something to your kid and then you forget. And they say, Dad, you promised. So experiencing that is part of the normal human existence, right? Broken promises from your spouse, from your boss, from your friend, from your brother, your sister. But Scripture, Matthew tells us, when it comes to the promises of God, it's something entirely different. God's not like that. God keeps his word. And when we look at what Matthew tells us about Jesus, this great king who came as a baby, it's part of God's plan to keep his word and fulfill what he has promised. Just look at this list of what God fulfills in the book of Matthew. We're not going to go through them verse by verse, but I just wanted to throw them up on the screen. I think there's 12 of them, uh, 12 passages in the book of Matthew where it says this happened to fulfill what was written in the Old Testament. All the way back to chapter 1, this is something we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks where it says, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's exactly what Jesus is. Jesus is God who came to live with us so that he could live in us. Chapter 2 talks about Jesus going off to Egypt Chapter 8, we talked about healing. Uh, This all happened to fulfill what was written by the prophets. Everything Jesus came to do was to fulfill what God had promised. So this morning, as you think about this king who we worship, who we just sang songs to, who we give our offerings to, he fulfills God's promises. You know, I think one of the things we see at Christmas time that makes this story, the Christmas story, so special and so uh, it never gets old is because we think of all the promises that came true already. 
and all the promises that will continue to come true because of Christmas. So I look forward to these next few weeks to celebrate that with you. But really, when we think about Jesus fulfilling God's promises, he is fulfilling God's plan for the ages. God's plan to rescue the entire world is fulfilled in the work of Jesus Christ. And so we have all that to be thankful for. But that brings us to the third thing that the king does. And it is this, the king does God's work. And this is actually the bulk of our passage today. Uh, this last section of the passage talks all about how the king came to do God's work. Jesus has come to do his father's work. But here's a question for you. How did Jesus know what work he was supposed to do? Have you ever thought about that? How did Jesus know he was supposed to go to Capernaum and heal these people? How did he know eventually that he was supposed to die on the cross to pay for your sins and pay for my sins? How did he know that? How did he know what work to do? You know, if you go to a job uh, and you're not the boss and you show up, you report to your boss and you say, what am I supposed to do today? And they give you your list of tasks to do. Uh, if you're, um, here's another example. Sometimes I've done what's called a CrossFit workout, okay? And in CrossFit, they have these things called WODs, W-O-Ds. Anybody know what that stands for? Workout of the day, okay? So the WOD for the day, they'll give you a list. They'll say do 100 push-ups, 100 pull-ups, 100 sit-ups, uh, and then run two miles as fast as you can. And I say, that looks like a, a the workout of the week to me. You know, like it takes me a week to get that kind of stuff done. But you have that list of things you're supposed to do. Jesus didn't have that, did he? I mean, what? how did he know what work he was supposed to do? I think part of it, we get a glimpse into that from what Matthew tells us. Jesus was very familiar with the Old Testament, partly because it was his word. And so when we look at passages like we're going to look at today, it's actually quoting from Isaiah 42, which was a job description for the coming king, for the Messiah. And so Jesus, knowing these things, would have said, those are the things I'm working on. Those are the things I am called to do. And so uh, Isaiah 42 uh, is actually one of those uh, passages in the Old Testament that we would call the servant songs. We're going to come back to that. But I would say this. When we look at what Jesus does, what this passage tells us about what he's called to do, this is a workout for the ages, right? I mean, he does work that only one person in all of human history could do. And that is, he becomes the king, the savior, who saves us. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John talks a lot about Jesus doing uh, the work of the Father, okay? So John 4 um, is, is Jesus talking with uh, his disciples, and, and they come back uh, after going into a village, and they say, do you want some food? And Jesus basically says he's not hungry. So what does he say? John four thirty four says this. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In other words, Jesus says what fulfills my purpose and what nourishes me is to do the work of the father. That's what he's called me to do. Flip over to John six thirty eight. John six thirty eight. All throughout the book of John, Jesus is talking about I am doing the father's work. He said, this is not my idea. I'm doing the work that God gave me. John six thirty eight, I love this verse. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I love that. Jesus says, I know that God sent me to do this work so that anyone who looks to me will be saved forever. This is before he was crucified, mind you. So he knows what's coming. He says, this is the will of him that sent me, that I should lose nothing of what he has given me. So the king does God's work. And Jesus has no illusions. We see that in John. We see it in Matthew. I'm here to do God's work. But again, how did he know what God's work was? I think it's from passages like Isaiah 42, which is quoted here in the last half of our passage today, starting in verses 18 through 21. See, in Isaiah, we actually have these uh, these four places. Uh, there's one in Isaiah 42. There's another one in Isaiah 49. There's another one in Isaiah 50. And the best known one you've probably all heard is Isaiah 53. And these are the things we actually call the servant song. So it's describing this king who's going to come. But it's not quite like what you would expect for a king. He's a servant. Kings aren't supposed to be servants, are they? Kings are supposed to rule. And be in charge and give orders. But Jesus comes as the promised servant. What do servants do? They do work. Whatever work they're given. Jesus says that God the Father has given him work to do. And so as we look at this, Isaiah 42 is actually the first servant song. Uh, And so this is where the servant is introduced. And so for Matthew to quote this part of scripture really kind of, again, tells us, hey, push time out, call time out. Let's look at the big picture of what Jesus is here to do. And so we're going to look at that today uh, in verses 18 through 21. As we look at the work that Jesus is doing, we're going to ask some kind of Uh, basic questions. You see them there. If you have your bulletin in front of you, uh, if you're watching online, you can pull up the bulletin online, kind of why he does his work, how he does it. And we're going to, we're going to talk through those basic things. So first of all, why does he do this work? Why does he do it? And I would say this, this scripture text tells us that Jesus does it because he is chosen by God. He's chosen by God. Behold my servant, verse 18, whom I have chosen. My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This is interesting. Uh, Matthew actually quotes that, or uh, the voice from heaven actually quotes this earlier in Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus is baptized, the exact same thing was quoted. Uh, the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son whom I have chosen. With him I am well pleased. So here we are again quoting those same verses to make the point that Jesus was chosen by God to do this work. He's the one person who could do it. He is loved by God. My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I love that part. And I love to see that this is what God says about his son, Jesus. You know, what's interesting is that when Jesus came to earth to accomplish this work and he says, I'm the king, I've come to rescue people. You'd think, okay, well, why didn't he rescue everybody just like that? Why are, why are we still working on this? God in his wisdom left that task to us, the church. And he says, I want you to be about my work of proclaiming the same message of rescue. You are chosen by God to do this. Flip over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this. uh, 1 Peter 2 uh, verse 9. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God says you are chosen, you are loved for what purpose? So that you can proclaim the excellent things about Jesus. So why does Jesus do his work? Because he was chosen by God. And he passes that task on to us. Why do we do this work? Because again, we are chosen and loved by God to do this work of spreading the gospel. We carry on this work. So that's the first part of this, uh, this passage that's quoting Isaiah 42. It says why Jesus does his work. But the second part of that is how he does it. How he does it. Um, and, and what we see here is that this is not just a human being going out and saying, I've got some great ideas. I'm going to do some really nice things for people. Okay. It's very clear in this passage that Jesus is empowered by God. My beloved with my, whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. In other words, he's going to be empowered by God. As God himself, he is empowered by God. If you think about it, one of the first songs we sang this morning, uh, who can stop the Lord Almighty, right? God is powerful. He can do anything he wants. No one can stop the Lord Almighty. He, and that's who Jesus is. And yet, he is gentle. Look at what it says a little later in this prophecy. Verse 19, Matthew twelve nineteen. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. So a couple things about this. Basically, Isaiah prophesied this, and Jesus fulfills it to a T. Again, we would expect a king to come in and dominate, lay down the law, tell us how things are going to be. But he says, this king, this servant, is going to come in humility and gentleness. What we would call meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength. That is under control. See, Jesus has the strength of the God of the universe inside him and behind him. And yet, he keeps that under control and is gentle. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Isaiah chapter 40. I want to read you just a couple words from here that kind of describe that, what I would call is this great mystery that's fulfilled in Jesus. Isaiah 40 talks about, in verse 10, Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Again, this mighty God is going to come. Another prediction of the king that's coming. But Isaiah 40 verse 11, the very next verse says this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So what a beautiful picture God paints, Old and New Testament, that God is almighty. Who can stop the Lord almighty? No one. And yet, he chooses to come as a servant, as a shepherd who tenderly cares for those who have needs. That's the work he does. That's how he does it. He's empowered by God, yet he is gentle. You know, we've spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks talking about the end of Matthew 11. Where Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the words of Jesus, when he says things like that, the actions of Jesus, show us that he's fulfilling to a T this promise that was made back in Isaiah 42. This promise that the servant would be a gentle servant, empowered by God, yet gentle. So that's how he does his work. You know, the illustrations that were given there, it says, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the street. In other words, he's not going to be out there shouting and arguing with people. In fact, it's interesting that when the Pharisees start to push back on him, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to go help the people who need my help. Rather than standing up for his rights and saying, I'm going to show you guys who's God around here. He doesn't do that. He says, my time hasn't come right now. What God wants me to do is to serve in gentleness and to care for bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Okay, those are two pictures of fragile people. A bruised reed, in other words, a little twig that's about to snap off. Jesus comes by, he doesn't kick it out of the way or snap it off. He notices the people who need help. He notices the people who are in need of healing. Same thing with a with a wick that's almost ready to go out. Has anybody in here ever felt that way? You're like, I'm about at the end of my rope, at the end of my wick. I don't have much more energy for what's going on here. Jesus comes along and says, I can bring healing into that situation, no matter how hopeless it might seem. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. What does he do? That's the next thing. When we talk about the king doing God's work, what is it that he does? He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. That's the end of verse 18. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And what we see is Jesus proclaiming justice, both with his words and with his deeds, right? That's why God sent him to heal people, so that he could proclaim justice with his deeds and with his words. What is justice? That's a pretty deep question, isn't it? (laughs) What is justice? You see, when we look at the word justice in Scripture, it's the idea of wrong things being made right. Right, So uh, when, when you have something, I think this is implanted in you from an early age, even a kid uh, who says, uh, you say to a kid, here's a cookie for you. And then the next kid comes along and you give them two cookies. The first one says, that's not fair. There's a sense of injustice there. Something's not right and it needs to be right. Things don't change a lot when you become adults, do they? There's a lot of injustice in our world today. Things that are not right. Things that happen to people, not by their own choice, but just because the world is broken. You know, we could talk about racial injustice, social injustice, uh, religious injustice. List them all off, but they really fall into that category of things that we say are not right. And the king says that eventually he will make all things right again. If you think about justice for us as humans, right? Something's not right. We are sinful and we deserve death. That's what justice says. The penalty for what you've done is death. But Jesus comes along and says, I can make that right. I will make that right. 
In fact, he did make that right. He paid the price for us when he died on the cross. All you have to do is trust him. See, Jesus came to make wrong things right. One day, we read the book of Revelation, all things will be made new. We're not there yet. We're in the in-between. But we are called, as we live in the in-between, God's people are called to actively pursue justice, actively seek justice for all. You see, I think when people look at the church and look at Christians, they ought to see people who are working to help the oppressed. Working to help the underprivileged. You don't have to look far to find those kinds of places. Places where people are taken advantage of because of their location, their wealth, their race. You name it, fill in the blank. And to work to bring justice, to seek justice for all. We live in a country where that's possible. So what Jesus does is he comes to proclaim justice. But there's one other thing that I wanted us to notice. I hope you notice this word. Jesus wins. Okay? Jesus wins. Look at verse 18. Uh, no, sorry. Verse End of verse 20. It says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. In other words, victory is guaranteed. Victory is guaranteed. Uh, if you like to read novels, okay, you like to read novels, what, what I know, I used to have a friend who would read the end of the novel before they started the novel. And I would say, why would you do that? You lose all the suspense. Uh, and I wouldn't even want to read the book if I knew what was going to happen. But in this case, I'm glad I know the end. I know the end that Jesus says, uh, God tells us that Jesus has come to win the victory. He will establish justice. It will be perfect justice one day. He wins. We know the end of the story. And that, brothers and sisters, has a great effect on how we live our lives from day to day. When you know how the story is going to end, it affects a lot of the decisions you make each day. We prayed for the persecuted church. If you think about our brothers and sisters who are facing the threat of death every single day, death, imprisonment, or torture, do you think they could endure that? If they didn't know how the story ended. It's important to know this. The king has come and what he does is proclaim justice and he wins. Jesus wins. Jesus is the victor. This affects how we live, how we follow him, and how we do his work as we live on earth. One more thing about the king doing God's work. The question is, who benefits? And the answer is really simple here. It's broken people. Remember, we started off by saying the king has come to heal broken people. Look at how this passage ends. And in his name, verse 21, the Gentiles will hope. In his name, the Gentiles will hope. I want to break that verse down for us just a little bit, okay? Uh, the first word I want to call our attention to is his name. Uh, in his name, in other words, in Jesus' name, in the king's name, that's who all the Gentiles are going to hope in. So who's the king? It's Jesus. His name is Jesus. But when we talk about name in scripture, we're talking about more than just the title Jesus. Oh, that guy's name is Jesus. Because when we talk about Jesus' name, we're talking about his entire reputation. And what is his reputation? 
He's God Almighty, merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We know that he's a healer. So in his reputation, he's the one who came to save. In fact, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks, the name the angel tells Mary to give Jesus is, is Yeshua. He saves, the one who will save. Jesus lives up to that name. His reputation is the one who saves. His reputation, in his name, in his reputation, the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? According to what the Jews believed at the time, in fact, if you read all of Scripture, Gentiles were the most broken of broken people. They didn't know the true and living God. They worshipped false gods. They were unclean. They had no way of getting to know God unless they turned to him. They were broken, they were crooked, and they were filthy. And yet God says, through this king, the Gentiles are going to have hope. Through Jesus, these people, the outsiders, will have hope. And that's the last word, hope. In his name, the Gentiles will hope. The broken people will hope. What does that hope mean for broken people? Talk about this at Christmas time a lot, right? Hope is one of those Christmas words. In fact, it's one of the words of Advent. And we say uh, at Christmas time, I hear this from my kids all the time, especially the younger ones. Man, I hope I get this toy or I hope I get uh, this present for Christmas. But the hope that we're talking about in Scripture is a different kind of hope. It's a confidence. Expecting fully that what you don't yet have, you will have. It's faith in the future tense. So in the name of Jesus, the Gentiles, the outcasts, the broken people find hope. They have confidence that God will save them. Who benefits from the king doing God's work? It's broken people, broken people like you and like me. You know, I want to invite the worship team to join me on the platform again. And as they come up, um, I want to share a little story or tell you about a friend of mine from college. I want to show you his picture. Uh, this guy's name is Christopher Yuan. Uh, I went to Moody Bible Institute with him for about three years. Uh, and I actually didn't learn his story till later. Uh, and part of that was because of, of what had happened. It was so fresh when he was coming there. And so uh, Christopher's long and difficult journey actually started in the suburbs of Chicago. So his dad was a dentist and his mother, Angela, uh, stayed at home with their children. And so Christopher's parents raised both of their sons to work hard and to honor family. And so they were thrilled when Christopher decided to follow in his father's footsteps and become a dentist. Uh, however, their happiness <clears throat> was quickly followed by profound disappointment in their culture uh, when Christopher told them he was gay. And his mother in particular was devastated by this and <clears throat> didn't know what she was going to do. This was in the 90s. So Christopher's testimony, uh, it's actually told in a book that he wrote with his mom, uh, combines his story with his mother's spiritual journey. And it's amazing to hear how God brought healing. But before that happened, um, you know, after Christopher came out to his parents, he began living uh, an increasingly promiscuous life. And he began experimenting with and selling illegal drugs. And I do remember him telling this part of his story. He's like, I didn't need the money. My parents were super wealthy. It wasn't because I needed the money. I just wanted the thrill and wanted to see what I could do. And so, uh, meanwhile, his mother, who was devastated, began searching for God. 
And after Angela became a Christian, she began to fervently pray for her son, even as she watched his life spiral out of control. So this picture is a mugshot of Christopher Yuan. Uh, and this was shortly before I got to know. Uh, he was expelled from dental school and imprisoned for being a major drug dealer. Uh, and was actually supposed to be locked up for the rest of his life. But even during through all that, he actually found out he was HIV positive. So he hit the bottom of the bottom. But while in prison, he met somebody who taught him the scriptures. And while studying the Bible, Christopher slowly realized that he had put his identity in the wrong thing. In drugs, his sexuality, and so many other things he was pursuing. And God called him at that point to put his identity in Jesus Christ alone. And this new identity in Christ compelled him to live in obedience to God regardless of what his desires were. This obedience led to a radically changed life. So when I think about the story of Christopher Yuan, this picture is amazing. Both of his parents are believers now. And he actually has a ministry uh, where he travels around teaching and preaching um, and teaches at, at Moody Bible Institute. And God uses him in a powerful way to share Jesus with thousands of people. You know, Christopher put his hope in many things, many other things, his parents, his future career, his sexuality, his drugs, his money. But they all left him empty and literally locked away in a prison until he met Jesus. He put his hope in the one thing that would never let him down. The king, his name is Jesus. So my question for you this morning is, do you know the king? Have you put your trust in him? And if you do know him, then let this holiday season be a season of celebrating and giving thanks for the king, for the one who came to save us and fulfill all of our hopes. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, the chance to see your word. God, I thank you for your son, the king, who came to do your work to save us, God. The king who loves us beyond measure. Father, I pray that as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week, we would remember to give thanks for all the blessings you give us, especially the spiritual healing that you provide through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.